Before I, I get to our reading, I just want to say something before we begin. That is, we, we come here and we sing these, these great songs and we wear nice clothes and we're here together and having a wonderful time. And it's, it's easy to kind of forget what is going on even outside of these walls. And I would be remiss if I didn't at least mention, because it came up in my news feed and anybody who's been watching the news the last couple of days has seen what's happened around the world. And, and I've said this often when we watch this stuff take place, that when we come here on a Sunday morning, what we're doing here on a Sunday morning is not just coming here to sing great songs and to hear a message, but this, in, in some sense, is an act of resistance against the principalities, both seen and unseen, in this world. And so we come here and sing these songs that we're singing to God. In, in many ways, we're bringing beauty into the world that is so broken. And what I want you to know that the world will tell you, and you'll hear this all over the news, that the greatest force in the world is evil. And the greatest force in the universe is evil. I want to say what the gospel says is no. The greatest force in the universe is God's love. It's God's love that not only put Christ on the cross, but also raised him from the dead. And that's what we're here to celebrate here this morning. So what we're doing this morning is an act of resistance. Praise God. Having said that, <laughs> having said that, our reading this morning is just two, just two um, texts, just two scriptures, two verses from Colossians 3 that are loaded with meaning. Paul writes to the church, work willingly at whatever you do as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. And remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Jesus Christ, the word of the Lord. So, this series that I'm, when I'm here is called Kingdom Come, and we're taking the idea and looking at the idea when we pray that part of the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in, as it is in heaven. And that is whatever's happening in heaven, we would unleash here on earth. And that although Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, we know in other scriptures, we know that the kingdom can be seen invisible in this world. And the idea we're looking at this morning is how do we, in many ways, uh, live our lives in such a way, how we conduct our lives, not only where we work, in our employment, in our volunteering, in everything we do, because we know that we know when we read this in uh, Colossians, the passage I just read, in other places, that the preeminence of Christ is every single place in our lives, that Christ should rule in our hearts and our minds in everything we do. And so the question is, how do we, in many ways, glorify God um, from nine to five and even beyond that? And the fact is that most Christians, at least my conversations, that we, in many ways, seal off our faith from our work, either because we have been forced to do so, because we're not allowed to bring it in the workplace, or because not, there's not an opportunity for it, or we don't know what to say or how to say it. And I'm, I'm really bringing the first question is, how does the Bible and how does God define work? 
the most basic sense, you know, I always say this, I like to major in the majors, getting back down to the essence of this, it goes all the way back to the very beginning of our story with God, where it says this in Genesis 2, the Lord God took the man, that is Adam, and put him in the garden of Eden. And why did he put him there? To work it and to take care of it. That simple. And yet we know that Adam is a representative of all of us. And so he represents all of us. And what was God asking Adam to do? Well, first of all, he's not asking him to destroy the garden. He's not asking him to neglect the garden. The gardener is someone who's rearranging the raw materials of a particular area to draw out its potential to bring it out where there's flourishing going on, which impacts the culture and the world we live in. So we don't destroy it, and we don't leave it either. We cultivate it. We grow it. We expand it. We work with it. We develop it. We're creative. So you clear out the ground. This is what Adam's doing. You clear out the ground so the sun can come in, so food can grow up. And why would God do that? So he can bring about food that feeds his creation, that feeds his people for our bodies to flourish. And this is the reason why we grow anything, really. I mean, we grow flowers to see beauty. And work is a major, major instrument of God's providence to bless all of his creation. And it sustains the human world. I mean, think about it. Just up here, we were hearing all this great music. What is music? It's, it's rearranging sounds that have always been there, by the way. It's rearranged sounds in such a way when they come together, we see and feel beauty in it. It's taking the raw material of sound and making it to something spectacular. And it brings meaning into our lives. Think about this. What, what is architecture? Think about this building we're in here. It's taking the raw materials out of the ground and putting them together to build great structures, great buildings. Great houses for us to live in. And we see God glorified in these places. And this can bring about human interaction. And so really the first point here is that all work is, is God's work. All work is God's work. Now let me just put a little addendum to this. Because I said this a few years ago and someone was bringing up a point to me. And, they, and I said, listen, this is talking about work that, acts bring, that brings about human flourishing. So not, we, we would not say that pornography is good. We would not say uh, sweatshops are good. All work that brings about and glorifies God's creation is good. And let me just give a plug for a book. You, know, you often wonder how I, where I get all these things. I rarely come up with any ideas of my own. This wonderful book by Timothy Keller called uh, Every Good Endeavor. I highly recommend it. Great scholarship. Goes into great detail about how we glorify God in our workplace. And Tim talked about a passage in there that has stuck with me for years. It's a kind of obscure passage that's found in Psalm 147, which says this, For God has made your gates strong and blesses your children within your walls. The idea is, how does God keep our community strong? How does God keep our gates secure? How is God doing that? Well, think about this. How does God feed us? 
I mean, how do we have the food we ate last night and the day before that and the day before that? Well, he, he feeds us through farmers. And he feeds us through the farmers actually growing food and transporting somewhere. Think about the milk that you may have drank this last week. Someone and somewhere in the United States was milking cows, taking that milk, putting it on a truck, and somebody was driving that truck across the country to drop it off at Publix in the last few days. We just, we don't even think about how that gets there and how many hands it involved. The guy that stocks the shelves, the 16-year-old girl that works at Chick-fil-A, taking the nuggets out of the tray, putting them in the box, in, in the bag, and handing them to you in the drive-thru and saying, my pleasure, okay? If we didn't have that, we, some of us parents in here would not be eating at least once a week, right? <laughs> right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. And the Bible is upholding the idea that p- people who are doing the simplest kinds of work are actually the feet and the hands of God. That's what the Bible's saying. And God is providing for us, and he's loving us through the work of other people. Therefore, all of work is God's work. It's, it's caring for God's creation. However, I do want to add here, I do think it's worth saying here, because I think certainly almost all of us in here have watched this. We've even maybe been a part of it, sadly, is that we as a society value some work greater than others. Uh, we tend to value work that makes more money. We tend to value work that has more, more influence. We tend to look over or even look down on the sanitation worker, the custodian, the food and beverage worker. Uh, we pass by the person who's sweeping the floors. We don't notice them. Or if we do notice them, we, we don't look at them and give them the dignity that they deserve. Because we think, well, anybody can do that. And so what the Bible says, there's a natural inclination always to elevate ourselves at the expense of others. The gospel of grace, because of the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace washes all that out of us. It really bleaches that out of us. It gets rid of that. So take to heart the fact that all workers have worth. All workers have dignity. Some work is lower skilled. Some is higher. Some makes not a lot of money. Some is well paid. But the world's pecking order and how we measure that is very different than how God measures it. In other words, what you do matters. In God's order, everything's important. And everything's necessary for human thriving, for human life. And God has placed you and I here for a reason. And there is a purpose for our existence. And what is that? You've heard me say this a million times here. It is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And how do we glorify God? And how do we glorify God, particularly in our work? You do it with passion. And you do it at the highest level all the time, regardless of anybody else is looking. And why, and why do we do that? Because we're making the gates of our community strong, the world we live in. I mean, think about this. If, if, if God is feeding us through farmers, 
then what does it mean to be a farmer who's a Christian? It means to produce great food at a great price, okay? What does it mean to be an architect who is a Christian? It means to build wonderful, beautiful structures that do not fall down, okay? That we love to be in, that we love to invite people to be a part of. That's what it means. What does it mean, by the way, I'll just add this, what does it mean to be a, a pilot? I was just asked this by my, my son, who's, by the way, my wife is gone this morning. She's with my two youngest in Charleston, visiting him. He's taken them up in a plane this morning to fly. Lord have mercy. Uh, <laughs> my son is graduating in a couple of months. He's going to be a pilot. And anyway, he was asking me a few months ago, what does it mean for me as a Christian, as a pilot? And I said to him, well, it means to land the plane safely, okay? <laughs> right? But you do the best. You, you do it to, to, to the highest level all the time. By the way, that's why so many athletes were attracted to Kobe. He did it at the highest level all the time, regardless of if anybody was looking or not. And it gives you a chance in many ways if you can share your faith in that workplace, that's, a one, that's icing on the cake. But God sees how we are performing, how we're living. And it, let me bring this passage back up here. It says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. Because the background of this text, if you look at the preceding verses of this, Paul's actually writing to people who are actually in, some, they're in slavery. In a horrible situation. And he was saying, listen... Remember, you are working for the Lord rather than just for these masters. That you may, you may be, you maybe you cannot get out of. You are working for the Lord rather than for people that may not have your best interests. And this is how we care for God's creation. And why is this so important for us to know here? It's, I think it's from this point. There are many in here this morning whether you're volunteering or you're employed or you've been working at a place for a long time, we, we, you're in places where um, you maybe you just don't feel appreciated. You, you don't feel valued. Or you're doing something that, you know, you're not designed for. I, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to over the years who are in work situations that they're, they're trapped. And they, they don't know how to get out of it. And they feel like they're supposed to do something more meaningful. Or you're retired and you're volunteering in certain places. Uh, you know, my 15-year-old daughter, who's up in the booth right now out there working the slides, she's been working at Publix for the last year and a half. This is not her ideal goal for the rest of her life to work behind the, the cash register. And yet, she's doing it because she knows it's going to help pay for college. She knows it's, making a, it's providing service for our community. And she loves doing it. And she's really good at it. We need to say to ourselves and to all of us in here, what I do matters. What I do, it counts. Regardless of anybody else notices it. So our calling is be the best at what you are doing where God has you. Last weekend, um, I was up in Knoxville, Tennessee to visit my oldest son, who's first year in law school school and to visit Emma Dewey's there who's a senior and we went there together to watch the 
um, Tennessee, South Carolina game and watch the Vols absolutely destroy the Gamecocks, okay? It was awesome. Sorry for all you Gamecocks fans, okay? But that morning we were eating at, at Chick-fil-A, okay? And the manager was walking around and was just, he was so full of energy. He, was, he seemed excited to be there, it, but he wasn't obnoxious about it, okay? But I said to him, well, you're really good at doing your job. And he said, I love my job. I love doing this. And I thought, that's a great thing when you see somebody who likes what they're doing and is passionate about it. It was, a, it, was a, it was something wonderful to see. Because, by the way, it, for us, this is a form of worship. I mean, everything we do is a form of worship. It's not just showing up here on a Sunday morning. How we act and live out there is just as important as what we do in here. Everything we do is an act of worship. So we make our career, we make our vocation, we make it a calling from God. Because there's a bigger story going on here, always going on around us. That is, God's concern is not just for us as individuals. It's far deeper than that. Let me paint it this way. It's important to remember that God doesn't, he doesn't just care about lawyers. He cares about justice. He doesn't just care about okay, uh, florist. He cares about flowers. He doesn't just care about physicians. He cares about seeing his creation healed. Do you see what I'm saying? What we do just echoes and echoes and echoes. We're meant to display and reflect the purpose and the majesty and the glory of God. We were made for something, something better, something special, not just to get a paycheck or working for the weekends, right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm here playing that Loverboy song, okay? If some of you remember that, okay? What the Bible talks about is a calling that we are constantly feel and sense the human, human community upon us. And it, it reminds me of a professor I had back in seminary named Bruce Walkie, who was one of the premier Old Testament professors in the world. But he, he gave a quote years ago that has stuck with me all the years later. And he talked about when the Bible talks about the righteous, the just, uh, it, we are called to something great. And this is what he said. I want to put it up here. The just are those who are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The, the unjust will disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. Think about that. Are we making the community better? Are we making this town we live in stronger? Are we building and making the gates strong by what we're doing? So our eyes and our focus and our hearts are always bent on seeking the common good, on making the place we live in better to live in because we're here. So we're producers. We're not just, we're not just consumers. We're, we're, we're givers. We're not just takers. We want to live lives of production, not just consumption. So there's both fruitfulness and faithfulness. And this is, I think we're the most alive when we're like this because our God is, of all things, he's a creator, and because we are made in his image, we are sub-creators. And we are most alive when we are creating and we are cultivating. And so if, 
If God gives you a business, you cultivate that business. If God gives you a ministry, you cultivate that ministry. If God blesses you with a family, you cultivate that, that family. You, you make it better. You make it stronger. Now, let me address one last thing here that's important because I, I don't think I would have known this coming out of seminary, but maybe I, I do now after talking with people for years and years and years about this. No matter how difficult or how great our work is, um, there's always going to be a sense. Um, and Well, Genesis 3 has taught us this. That no matter how much we do or how great our work is, there's always going to be a sense that we're going we're to have sweat of our brow and thorns and thistles are going to grow up in our gardens. <laughs> have you discovered this? Okay. We are not yet on the other side of paradise. But one day we shall get there. But this will leave us in this life many times, probably on a weekly basis, sometime in our week, deeply frustrated that we cannot see things happen the way we think they should happen. And let me tell you a story. Uh, this is one of my favorite stories, but it's a book called Tree and Leaf. I want to put it up here. Written uh, by J.R.R. Tolkien back in the 1940s. And you may, you, some of you probably have never heard of this story before. He, he was right in the middle of writing Lord of the Rings when he had writer's block. And so he wrote this little tiny book, uh, short stories in there, to try to get him, to get, basically prime the pump again, prime the well, to get him, get him going again. And he wrote a, a story in there called Leaf by Niggle. Okay. And now... For years, I was saying I was gonna, my next dog is going to be named Niggle, okay? But since I named our last dog Teddy Roosevelt, okay, our children got to name our next dog. His name is Dune, okay? But the main character in this story, Leaf by Niggle, is, a, is an artist. And he's this incredible artist who lives in this very, very small town. And the town hires him to paint a mural of this beautiful tree um, on a wall coming into the town. And they pay him this large sum of money to do this. And so he begins, to, he's this incredible artist. So he begins to paint in all, he, 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 he has this idea of what it looks like. And so he begins to paint and all he can get out is a leaf. And he keeps working on it and working on it and working on it. And then eventually he kind of becomes the laughing stock of the entire community because he can never get out anything more than a leaf. And people say, what's going on with you? Why can't you get out the tree? And he's like, Man, I'm working, I'm working. You just got, you got to give me more time. And as soon as he's finished, like he's about to get some inspiration, he suddenly dies with the work unfinished. And all there is is a leaf on the wall. That is it. It's unfinished. And he's on his way to heaven, all right? And I forget exactly how it is, but he, he sees in the corner of his eye a leaf blown in the wind. And he, he turns around and looks over, and suddenly he sees the entire tree that he had dreamed about in his mind but could never be able to put on the wall. And this is what he says. Before him stood the actual tree, his tree completely finished. If you could say it was finished because it was alive, its leaves opening, its branches growing and bending in the wind. That Nickel had so often felt and even imagine, but seem not being able to grasp 
or to catch. And so he, he gazed at that tree and slowly lifted his arms up to heaven wide and said, it is a gift, it is a gift. And he went on looking at that tree. All the leaves he had ever labored for were there, even the ones that he had imagined but could never make happen. Now, why am I telling you this here? Here's a man who envisioned this great work, and yet he could, all he could ever get out was a leaf. <laughs> and I so identify with him on this, okay? But here's the thing about that thing that is so, I think Tolkien got here a biblical image here, okay? And that is this, the tree existed. It was always there, the one that Nigel had imagined about. This is so gospel-centered here. And work itself and our work will leave us deeply frustrated. Even life itself will leave us discouraged because the fall, the fall has come in and thorns and thistles will grow up in our gardens and we will feel like we're never there. And we're gonna feel like it will never, all we're ever gonna get out is a leaf. And let's say you're uber talented, you can get out a branch, okay? You're still gonna feel frustrated. This story reflects the gospel here because it gives us a simple standpoint. And that is, if you go into law, you go in to see justice happen. And yet I know many of you will say, you, how much injustice do we see? If you go into medicine, you wanna see people healed, yet we watch people die and suffer. If you go into art, you wanna do these great pieces of art and yet we can never seem to get it out because of the fall, because of thorns and thistles that come up from the ground. You can work for years and years and years. And yet the gospel says, there is a hope, there is a tree, there is a day coming when we will see that entire tree. So for those of you that are practicing law, as I told this to my son a few weeks ago, there's a day when we're gonna see perfect justice and righteousness. Those who practice medicine, there's a day when we're gonna be completely healed. Those who are artists, can you imagine the beauty it will be like when we are in the city of God on the other side? There is a tree. The scriptures say, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord and not for people. And remember, Paul says, the Lord has an inheritance stored up for you, the master you're serving Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we pray this morning uh, that as we, as a, a people of God, may take our lives a living sacrifice and may we conduct them in such a way that everything we do, we do it to the best of our ability all the time. Help us, Lord, in many ways to glorify you in what we do, what's in our work, in our homes, in our volunteering. We may glorify you and in the process, we may enjoy you forever. It's in your name we ask and pray these things. And all of God's people said, amen. Let's stand together and sing.